Hey, potential podcast listeners, let's talk about today's sponsor, Let's Get Checked. Let's Get Checked makes professional health testing easy by letting you get tested without having to visit a healthcare provider. You can order a testing kit that will be delivered to you in discreet packaging. Once your sample arrives in the laboratory, confidential results will be available from your secure online account within two to five days. These results are reviewed by a clinician, and a member of the Let's Get Checked nursing team may call you to review your results. And Let's Get Checked laboratories are CLIA approved and CAP accredited, which are the highest ranking levels of accreditation. So, if you want to avoid an uncomfortable office visit or prefer the convenience and get tested at home, visit trylgc.com potential and get 25% off your test using code POTENTIAL25. Once again, that's 25% off your test by going to trylgc.com potential using the promo code POTENTIAL25. Take charge of your physical health and well-being, and let's get checked. This episode is a sponsored partnership by Keen. So, you finally decided that you want to seek psychic advice. But now you're just sitting there and you're asking yourself, why Keen? Shouldn't I just look into psychics near me? It would probably be a lot easier. Our response? Why would you? Keen connects you with talented tarot readers and astrologers. If you want to get a reading on Keen, it's super easy to start. They've been giving trustworthy readings since 1999, over 35 million to be exact. All you have to do is create an account, and you'll be able to choose from hundreds of readers who are online right now. These readers each have unique specialties designed to provide a deeper understanding of your situation. Want to learn more about your love life? What's your financial future look like? Are you looking for a closure from a deceased loved one? Keen has a reader ready to provide clarity and insight. You can choose whichever reader best suits your needs, and you'll be able to connect via phone call or text. Just go to trykeen.com potential. As a new customer on Keen, you can try your first 10 minutes for only $1.99, which is up to $99 in savings. Once again, that's trykeen.com potential. Get your first 10 minutes for $1.99. And remember, know your potential. I guess we should start the episode. Talking all things entertainment, pop culture, and nerdum, this is The Potential Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Potential Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Dewar, and with me is the one and only Sailor of the Seas, the the Captain, Taylor Sokol. How are we doing, Taylor? Well, hoy there, Chris. Yeah, not the one and only of, of Sailor of Seas, but I, I appreciate that. Very, very fitting. Well, uh, you we, did sail the seas for a lot longer than I did. You, yeah, well, like we both are seafarers in our yes. Oh, yeah, six years 
uh, and that was plenty. So I've seen my fair share of work. I'm sure you've got a tale or two to tell. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I didn't get the sailor accent. I always thought when I'd work on ships, I would, you know, I'd start getting like, you know, the little, like old sea captain. But um, <laughs> how have you been uh, uh, since we last spoke yesterday? Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in this like, uh, I'm in this funny space of, uh, I'm, uh, for those listening, I'm a huge fan of puzzles. I like doing jigsaw puzzles. Yeah. I've been famously known now to kind of do um, most a thousand piece puzzles in about six hours, um, <laughs> unless it's really tricky. Um, but this photo project that I've been working on for quite some time now, yeah, uh, over 13,000 photos that I'm trying to organize and figure out into the right decades and years and stuff. It's like a, it's like its own kind of, oversized jigsaw puzzle of trying to like figure out where things should go just to make it as easy as you know possible to uh to look at and to you know read so um that's been really taking up a lot of my time i mean uh how have you been doing you're still still here we are working from home still in yeah yeah, Pittsburgh. still working from home pittsburgh um and uh, my gardening, um, you're talking about your trials and tribulations. Let me tell you, I'm so excited that my banana peppers, it's not a euphemism, my banana peppers have been growing uh, exponentially. But the problem was there's all these brown spots in them. They were like rotting. And I know what was going on. So I'm like having to like, you know, take them off. And the one other one's doing well, but it's been kind of frustrating to figure out like, you know, what, what gardeners did and, and farmers years ago, who taught them all these things? I have to Google like, if there's brown spots, what do you do? And I'm learning how to prune and uh, take out uh, my basil and stuff. So it's been an odyssey with the gardening, which has been very exciting. Um, very nice, of course, same-wise. Very nice. Yes. Oh, Mr. Frodo. Um, so that's been good. And uh, looking forward to, you know, we're still enjoying the summer. I've been keeping up with the cooking, which has been nice. Been working on nice. my little recipes and things like that. I'm thinking of getting a hobby. I'm thinking of learning an instrument. That's the next Ooh, thing. What instrument are you thinking of? Well, I actually, just looking at what I have at the house, I have an ukulele that was my mother's You know, ago. I think a lot of people, especially in our generation and the younger, have looked toward the ukulele because I think it's a fun way to kind of learn like what it would be like to play guitar, but it's a little less stressful. I mean, like, you can't be like super angry and playing the ukulele. It's just, it's just, no. it's just too fun a time. And I think well, it's portable. It's yeah. It's, yeah. you know, I feel like it'd be easy. It'd be a good stepping stone for guitar. So I think I'll, I'll maybe get into that. I do have it. It's, it's all been re- redone. So that's, um, that's in the, that's on the roster there. Well, that'd be us. fun. Now you did mention, yeah, we're, we're here in the summer. I mean, we're like smack, smack dab in the middle of it. Uh, we're Pretty getting much, into, yeah, the you know, hot summer. Hot summer. You know what always is a fun time on a hot summer day? Uh, most of the time is to, you know, you want to go to the beach. You want to go somewhere and have a nice dip in the pool or, you know, in the ocean or in a lake of some sort. But uh, some sort of body of water. Funny enough, we're, we're currently dealing with a situation where that's maybe not the best thing to do because of COVID. Uh, we do realize that there are certain areas that maybe people aren't as, uh, you know, surrounded by. So it's maybe a little easier to get a little of that. But yeah. It's funny that uh, we're kind of seeing this symbol, this kind of theme of, you know, what happens when you open things too soon? Yes. And, oh, a tale that has been told so many times, but 
perhaps none greater than our main topic today, the first ever true blockbuster film, a classic, a amazing picture. We're talking today about one of Taylor's favorite films and one of my favorite films. Yes. Jaws. Yes. The one of, as you said, the blockbuster, it was the one that, you know, created the, you know, idea of a blockbuster and uh, the summer of 1975. What a summer uh, when this film came out. For those of you who haven't seen it, where have you been? It's, this is the, first of all, it's the monster film to rival a lot of monsters, uh, the shark movie to rival all shark movies. And just one of the, the best summer flicks that had graced the yeah. theaters. Um, I mean, this was a, first of all, it was a film that was based off, a lot of people may not know this, was based off a book by mm-hmm. the author called Peter Benchley and was called Jaws. And uh, the screenplay then, you know, was adapted later on by obviously, as you know, one of the well, most well-known and prolific filmmakers and directors of our time, Steven Spielberg. And which was so incredible about this film that he undertook this film. He was a young guy of 26 with very few credits under its belt. And he had the ambitions and the drive and the vision uh, to create something so epic that when they made this movie at the time, they're like, this isn't going to be great. This is nothing. And little did they know that a movie that yeah, was little did they by... know a, uh, <laughs> so many things, so many things are wrong in the filming of this. Um, it, it's been well-documented and known that the, the shoot was only, was only supposed to last about two months. It lasted yep. more like five, six months. Uh, they went way over the budget. I mean, of course it's funny to look at the budget now. Uh, the budget for the film was like, uh, nine to fourteen million dollars, yeah. And you know, m- even a even a lower tiered, uh, you know, non action movie today would still be double, if if not triple that. So, um, yeah. I mean, it was a difficult shoot. Uh, you have to, you know, I guess we'll go off. So, of course, the story of Jazz. It's a very simple premise. Uh, you have a a new sheriff in town at this little beach town called amityville and uh there's something it's lurking amity island it's the amityville oh, is a horror oh movie. that's a horror movie that's right <laughs> yeah amityville horror that was amity island but you're close. amity island well you know <laughs> it does become a horror <laughs> it does become a horror movie um but somehow a great white shark that's probably not naturally supposed to be in the waters there has uh found a full town buffet of people going in the water so um uh, the goal is, of course, you have this sheriff who there's some uh, mysterious past why he's afraid of the water, and he clearly has wanted to make something of his him, him being a cop. He he came from New York where there's so much crime. He's like, how can you ever really make a difference? He thinks he can make a difference in this town because he's this is a town where really not, you know, it's a summer destination vacation. It's yeah, nothing not, uh, happens. The small town atmosphere. No crime. There's been no murder yeah. in like 27 Every, years. Everyone or, knows everyone. You know, yeah, it's, it's a very small town, you know, and they rely on the people to come in for the summer months for to spend a lot of money so that they can, you know, have money for the year. And there's a shark lurking in the waters. And of course, uh, the mayor is constantly trying to put it down like it's nothing. Let's keep the beaches open because he wants money. And as more and more people it, get yeah. attacked, yeah. they realize that they have to... Uh, call upon some people that are a little more equipped to hunt this thing down and go try and kill it. Yes. So first off, when you know you're going to be making a movie, 
that's going to require a certain breed of animal in it, mm -hmm. that's already going to be difficult because once you kind of get past certain types of animals, such as domesticated, you know, dogs, cats, mm -hmm. birds, and such, yeah, it gets a little more tricky of how to use, you know, train animals. Now, of course, there have been, you know, train wolves, train elephants, you know, there's certain animals that, you know, even uh, killer whales, you know, but um, great white sharks are not trainable <laughs> creatures no. to, to <laughs> make as an actor in a film. So the biggest challenge of this film was how can you make a convincing great white shark out of most of it is puppetry. It's a giant yes. puppet. And this was probably the, the biggest disaster and downfall of the film, um, although it, it still holds up pretty well. Uh, just, well we, we both just rewatched this. Um, yes, we did. You want to talk a little bit about how the, the shark was kind of a, a hot mess? <laughs> Well, well first of all, yeah, I gotta you're jumping on your take when you're saying, you know, it was a disaster, but not a downfall for the film, surprisingly. Um, Spielberg's original vision was to have uh, first of all, he wanted to film out on the ocean. Most films at the time, um, any studio film that involved like water, underwater scenes had a tank or a big pool that they filmed in because it was easier to control. But he wanted the effect of having it on open sea, which of course makes it more believable. Uh, but of course, you have the elements, you've got uh, rough waves, you've got sea, uh, salt water, all these things coming against you. And he wanted to create a believable shark. So their biggest undertaking was to create this giant animatronic shark that would be able to swim, dive, go out and, you know, look like he was trying to eat people. And of course, when they first created this shark in the, I believe, LA studios, and it was working fine, all great. They had not tested it and made sure it was seaworthy. <laughs> so when they started setting it up in the ocean uh, filming, it continually broke down. It would stop. It would act, you know, crazy and stuff like that. So they act actually, it's fun fact, they actually created three sharks. There were three, three sharks. different yep. sharks mm -hmm. for different action uh, to do. Um, but Spielberg, this there was so much money put into this thing that they were losing money because it was just not working. And that was the running gag was the shark's not working, the shark's not working. It would so, not work every day. And yeah, yeah. They, they tested it in <laughs> fresh water. They tested it in water that, you know, it was, it was fine. And then when it got to salt water, it fried the systems. It just wouldn't work. It wouldn't move the way it needed to. And and this did, though, lead to, I think what you're going to go off onto was... Yeah. Um, it led to what actually makes this movie quite a success is that yes. most of the film, you don't see the shark. You see very little of the shark and it leaves it to your imagination of what you think the shark looks like. I mean, we've all seen sharks, uh, whether in TV shows, documentaries, films, mm -hmm. uh, they're a fascinating creature that since this movie has, you know, been in a lot of pop culture. So, but you're, th you know, the way they keep talking about this specific one, you think, oh, it's great white. Maybe it's a little bigger than the normal. And it's, it's almost purposely attacking people. You know, it's not just, yeah. it, it's, it, there's a animal instinct of it being, um, it's territory where it wants to hunt, but almost in a way that it's like doing this on purpose. It's kind of the scary thing of the film. And so you don't know wherever it's going to be, who it's yeah. going to attack. It actually leads a lot to the, the suspense of the film is you don't really see it much until the second half of the film. Is yeah, the, yeah it's, the, it's the, literally the third, close to the end of the second to the third act of the film is when you finally get to revealed. And, mm -hmm. you know, you have um, 
and even to the to the audience and to the characters of the film, they're in disbelief because this is this thing is a lot bigger and menacing than they had previously anticipated. And you're right, that's what made it so much more terrifying is the fact that there was so much implication of what was there. And the scary thing is, you know, you don't know what lurks beyond beneath the surface of the water. And, you know, you go to oceans and lakes and you can't see below. So it's that it really played on that fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. Uh, of the water. A, is this yeah. an act of God or a creature or something? Uh, what more, is it? You know? And why is it here? Yeah. And why is it tormenting us? And then you, you balance that with, uh, frankly, three incredible performances of our three kind of main actors in this film that all have different uh, backgrounds and, uh, you know, they're very different type of characters, but they come together to kind of form this bond, this team. And so uh, we first off have, you know, Roy Scheider, who's, uh, he's, he's the, the cop. And I love that they, they do illustrate these little moments where he, he, he's afraid to go in the water. And it's like his job is to try to hunt down and kill this shark, and he doesn't. Yeah. Want to, he doesn't want to go on a boat if possible. Well, the joke. The joke is, you know, you know, guy that's afraid of the water lives on an island. Yeah, lives <laughs> so on an, an island. island if you're looking for water. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, but and and it's kind of funny because Roy Scheider he played cops for quite a while, so it was yeah. like he he was stuck in kind of that role, but he played it very well as this guy that very moral, very, you know, um, but he is kind of of these three guys that this ends up to he's the very like of all the people that you want to go hunt a shark he's not the one you he's, want to he's the there. least qualified i guess yeah. you could say minus the, the underdog that he, the uh, underdog so to speak yeah he's like the underdog minus the fact that he can operate a weapon he knows how to work a gun then we have richard dreyfus who plays uh matt's right matt brody yeah matt hooper matt, no matt no, hooper chief, chief, chief brody, brody matt, hooper. matt yeah. hooper and then quint um and he's kind of like the snarky, you know, I want, he's not, he's not a know-it-all, but he acts like a know-it-all. Well, he's a rich kid, basically. They, mm-hmm. they allude to that he's this guy who's kind of had his life kind of, kind of handed to him. Like he had his own boat when he was a kid and all this money he has, but you know, he studies sharks. So he's the, he is the, the, the expert. He's the sharks. expert. So, mm-hmm. so he's like, oh, well, this guy knows what he's talking about because he knows all about sharks. He knows, he knows what to do. And then, you know, we lead into the third man who is the seasoned grizzled you know the shark hunter the shark hunter captain quince captain quince by the legendary robert shaw yes who really when i when i'm just re-watching the film the other day he he comes off almost like a very old school stereotypical character role of like oh here's the seasoned shark hunter you know this is the ahab of the moby dick for this movie you know, yes. he's 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 kind of the old, uh, you know, will do anything to to get the prize. Mm-hmm. And then I think the scene that really takes this film from some kind of funny horror B movie yes. is we have this fantastic scene uh, in the second half of the film. Of course, I mean, we already kind of said it earlier, but if you've not seen the film by now, sorry. Uh, spoiler well, alert, especially in this time in summer it's played constantly on tv in the summer but not so. for 45 <laughs> years but yeah we have this great scene where they're all kind of showing off different uh body uh you know scratches or the, well the stars. scars which is kind of parody in so many other films today so many films and you know and there's one that uh chief brody's you know what about that one and it gets very quiet. And then yes. Quint goes into this monologue about he was on 
the USS Indianapolis when it sank into the water and the amount of sharks that would come and, you know, the amount of people that were lost to sharks during that, you know, yeah, the and scary thing was actual the US, actual soldiers that had had been on that had been in interviewed and said that they loved that that scene was included because it was not only respectful but it really told the story that for many of them they don't talk about because of course it's still so you know it's still hurtful of what you know that was such a dramatic experience you can't even imagine and he tells his tale and and the way he the way he delivers this monologue and then John Williams who really is like the final ingredient of this fantastic score. Oh, that, yeah. Well, well, we can't, we can't not do the podcast without yeah. talking about the music, oh, which we come pretty on. much, pretty much that, that without the music, I think, I mean, Spielberg himself had said about John Williams that his mu- his music made the film. Cause when they first were doing all the stuff, they had no music in mind, N- you know, nothing. And the score, but the score, yeah, yes. the score comes in in the middle of this monologue and it really sets this kind of eerie tone. And, and then, in, in in typical Spielberg fashion, it just immediately is followed by a really fun drinking song. And it you yeah, know, yeah, the, it was the levels. Shanty. But yeah. going off of John Williams for a second here, I mean, again, as we talked earlier about, this is a film that doesn't really showcase the shark a lot because it leaves you your imagination. The score is the shark. We yes. know when the shark's around because John Williams is telling us that the, that the shark is near. You start hearing that, the classic, da-da, da-da. Dun, 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 yeah. dun, and bah, bah, bah. I mean yeah. it really it, it's funny to hear that when Steven Spielberg first asked John Williams uh do you have anything you know that you've, you've written so far and he was like yeah I have this he played for him what his theme was going to be yeah. and Spielberg laughed he was like no no what's the real thing he's like that that is it and I think <laughs> I think it was so simple. It was like, this can't be it. <laughs> it can't be it. And I think, yeah, again, Spielberg being this very uh, you know, young hothead director, he, he had such big ambition, not knowing what, you know, what was going to come from this film that really would launch his career to uh, legendary status is that it was those little choices that really could go a long way. Well, and speaking of choices, I want to go just kind of dive in real quick about the book itself. Mm-hmm. Um, now you haven't read this book, correct? It's on my list. It's okay. okay so I won't, I won't, I won't ruin. I mean, you know what the basic plot is, yeah. but I could, I could, I could talk about a couple of things. It's interesting that there is a lot of deviations from the book because a lot of things like some of the deaths and stuff are a lot more understated. Of course, Captain Quint, his death is so still watching it to this day. And it's effects, gruesome. It's gruesome. And it's like, Oh my God. Like every time you watch it and in the book, it's so it's very Captain Ahab, where it's just mm-hmm. he's just he's not he's just kind of taken down with the ship, so to speak. So it's very there's a lot of anticlimactic moments, um, and sort of like, oh, this just it's you know where you've got the big explosion at the end where they take out the shark finally. Um, but then there's there's a lot of weird stuff in the in the book where they've got like there's a there's some mafia. Um, I've like heard there's some mafia. I heard there's some. Yeah. Uh, there's some, and Hooper. Uh, Hooper has an has, a, has, an has affair. a thing going on. Has an affair yeah. with Chief's wife. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's a very it's very interesting the choices that were made. But I think Spielberg made it for the better. You know, seeing yeah. Movie, I mean, you 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 want to care about these characters. Yes. And there's something. It's strange, and I think this is a spinoff of what King Kong ultimately did for the kind of monster genre, is that 
there's some weird part of you that does care about this creature because it is an animal and really it's just eating and it's trying to live. So yeah. you also care about this shark, even though you're like, good Lord, it, it never wants to stop. And it's, you know, it's so powerful. It's like an uber great white, uh, great yeah. white shark. So, but there's still something about you, you care about it. And I feel like the plot is so simple. It is so basic that I think if they had added those other elements, it would have been, you know, I mean, for example, the affair kind of thing, I don't think it would have read well because we already kind of get this distance between Brody and his wife because now he's so obsessed with this case yeah. that he's willing to even risk his own life to go on an adventure with these two men to try to hunt down the shark. And there's even a moment when, uh, you know, Quint's, Quint's singing and being all, you know, goofy and, you know, seafaring like, and he, he has to take this moment where Brody has to get on the ship. And then his wife runs away, almost scared, because she's like, I can't believe my husband's actually now going to risk his life to try to, you know, but that's, he's, he needs to do that. This yeah. is, this is like the biggest case of his life now is, is tracking down this shark. So. Well, and it, well, it goes back to earlier when he's saying, you know, one man can make a difference. And that was the thing. And, and talking about these three characters, about making them likable, you the fact that it's, it's so interesting the movie changes like it's this very scary horror suspenseful movie and then to the third act when it's these three men on the boat to go kill the shark it's it the movie is all them it's just the three guys on the, the boat guys for really break- about about 50 minutes it's really, yeah. it's really like it's like a two-part movie it's like the shark's attacking people what is this thing and then once they kind of figure out what it is the second half is let's go hunt the shark let's go yeah. get the shark and when we talked earlier a little bit about you know, Spielberg choosing to film on the open water. Yeah. One of the very first scenes, once they've gone out into the water, is a scene where Quint's sitting down at the the, the, the chair that he can do the fishing from. Yeah. Hooper's mm-hmm. doing some stuff. And, and the, the camera, the boat is just going up and down because it's on the water. And you as the audience, it feels like you're on the boat. And actually, it really adds a little bit of that, like, oh, we're, we're there with them. And the whole second act is really, like, yeah, we're on the open sea. If and this how they thing filmed attacked- it, though, they weren't all the way. They were close to shore. But how oh, he yeah. filmed it, it looks like they're open water. Oh, yeah. But it's like you still feel that. And then the fact is, in the book, they um, they went back to shore every night. Oh. We got to talk. And this one is a better choice. It's like, no, we're going out there and we're staying out there until we take this thing out. So I mean, it it like- really, to me, it adds attention because <laughs> I had my headphones on quite loud <laughs> when I was oh. watching the other day. And... <laughs> Literally the moment when they're all, you know, they've been kind of drinking and, and all of a sudden the shark starts attacking the boat and it's like, yeah. bam, bam. It was so loud. I was like, oh, like I was like, oh, it's, you know, because you yeah. forget like, and I think um, it does, it does add a little bit more of that. Because uh, I mean, literally they're not, the Orca, the ship, Quint ship is, it's a good size ship. It's not a big yeah. ship no. compared to uh-huh. the size of the shark. So yeah, they find out later. Um, but, but what, uh, com- what yeah. camaraderie and just their their the some of the best acting and some of the dialogue in that film is just mm. great because you know like there's there was support, supposedly a little bit of tension between the actors Robert Shaw and Richard Dreyfuss. Their a bit of a character. competition, a little bit of a yeah, you know. yeah. Well, there's that that macho that male, like you know. He's- and I think it works well because it plays right into the characters because Quint is in his mind the you know end all be all he's the he's the the master here he, it's his ship it's his vessel he's the captain yeah. but 
you know, Hooper, who has a lot of knowledge of sharks, then thinks that he should be the one leading everything. And then Brody really is kind of like just taking a backseat of, you He's know, just chumming along. Go with Get the chum line to go. Chumming along there. <laughs> I know. Um, but thing we're going to get to when we come back after this message is this movie definitely set a new tone of fear and uh, really was also a paving way for what monster movies would be like to come and change the, uh, the change, the whole view of what sharks are of sharks are and a fear of the water. So more on jaws and sharks after this. (laughs) Yeah, that was one hell of a party. What about you, Quint? Any crazy party stories? Alarm clock rang two times into my ear, Chief. I was waking up in a room that wasn't my own. We had just had a Christmas party. The office Christmas party. 350 people came into the house... Party went down for five hours straight. Didn't see the first woman for about an hour. Blonde. Five foot five. You know how you know that in a party, chief? You tell by looking from the heels to the hips. Once it was dark, chief, ladies come cruising. So we guys formed ourselves into tight groups, you know. It's kind of like, yes, see a chessboard. The idea was the ladies come to the nearest man. He starts flirting and making a fool of himself. And sometimes she'd go away. Sometimes you wouldn't go away. Sometimes that gal looks right into you, right into your eyes and your soul. And the thing about a woman, she got beautiful eyes, gorgeous eyes, like a cat's eyes. You know, by the first dawn, we were all hung over. I don't know how many shots I had, maybe a thousand. I don't know how many kegs tapped they averaged to an hour. At noon the next day, I ran to Dunkin' Donuts, chief, for coffee, sweet and low. There was a young guy working there, much younger than Mr. Hooper, anyway, and he spotted me, took my order, and a few hours later, a big noise and rumble came from my stomach, and I ran toward the bathroom. It was full. You know, that was the time I was most frightened, running for my turn at the bathroom. I'll never get a dark roasted coffee again. So 350 people went into the Christmas party, 225 people come out, hangovers and couches took the rest, December 24th, 1945. Anyway, our party was the bomb. Okay. Wow. Well, I don't think anyone's gonna top that. Uh, well, guys, uh, how about another round? And we're back. Whew. That was nice. Nice little. It, w- it was nice to take that little breather because this this movie just. I'm just... Yeah, I need a little <sighs> tense. I I don't know about you, but I've seen it countless times, and it never gets old for me. I just it was great watching it again with that fresh pair of eyes to be like, just to see it again. It doesn't get old. I mean, the the suspense is always going to be there. There's something about. So let's just go off real quick, uh, just about the fear of water, the fear of the ocean. Yeah, I think as as a as a species, man has always been uh, interested in the places that were not, you know, not physically meant to, meant be, to or, be, 
or we um, don't know what what lies beneath or and, out there. You know, the attraction of oceans and lakes and things, and of of going into the water, exploring sea life, exploring what lives in the water. Um, of course, grew to then, uh, you know, knowing about just as with they're on land, there are uh, predators in the water, just as there are prey. Um, and, you know, between, between the great white shark and killer whale, I mean, those are two of the top, you know, predatory kind of killing machines of the sea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the great white shark, of course, being like the daddy of, of the shark kingdom. I mean, I think whale sharks are technically bigger, but whale sharks are not, uh, you know, whale sharks are not going to eat a man necessarily. They're more for krill, but great white shark has always been a fascinating creature because uh, even before this movie, I'm sure there was, you know, references to, it's just such a big, very strong, very fast. And it has, of course, one of the biggest jaw, you know, it's, it's one of the biggest uh, set of teeth. It's a huge mouth. And it's so and, mysterious there, even as long as they've been on earth and long as humans have been on earth and scientists and researchers from this movie, even to this point, to this day, there's so much that people don't know about the great white itself. I mean, they know a lot about sharks, but great white is still that mysterious. Like they've never been able to keep it long in captivity. And Oh yeah. Um, and they're, and they're, the, they're fascinating. The oldest great white was up to 75 years old and Which they get like, it's pretty old. So imagine a grand granddaddy shark who's already probably had, you know, several pups and, you know, the size of that thing is incredible. And of course, you know, for most cases, sharks are not meant to be man eaters. That's a term that's, you know, come about in the last probably century. Um, That's, you know, they're, they're not, they, as with most animals, just eat when they need to eat. And if it happens to be that the closest prey to them is of a human sort, they don't know that's human. They just no. want to eat. And of course, when you were swimming in the water, this has kind of been actual uh, talked about in science. Is, for example, if you're on a uh, surfboard and you're out paddling, mm-hmm. well, the way that you look from down in the depths to, say, a great white shark might be similar to what like a, a turtle looks like or, or what a seal, seal looks like. Mm-hmm. So. They don't know that it's, you know, not a seal. Not a, they're just going to, if they're hungry, they will attack. And that's been the scary thing is that, you know, we have so many beaches on this planet where for the most part, you know, we think, oh, we're safe. We can go on the water. There might be some fish, but nothing's really going to attack me. But sharks are also known to attack in the shallow areas just as much as, you know, way out at sea. And this film, you know, got this kind of theme of you're afraid to go back in the water. And this actually became a phenomenon because people were afraid. They saw this film and they did not want to go back to the beaches. They did not want to go swimming. It forever changed what people thought of sharks. Now, a fun fact about this um, film, and they mentioned it briefly, we just had watched, I just talked about Chris uh, during the break, was that um, the... Sharks, there was a major attack that's mentioned in the movie uh, during na- the year 1916, the summer of 1916 in Jersey Shore. There was a series, this is a real fact, there was a series of six attacks of sharks and no one knew why, no one knew what happened and then eventually based a little bit of that story uh, into his book, into Jaws. But it wasn't until the book did a, 
did garner you know fear but it wasn't until jaws like you said that sharks earned their reputation as calculated killers man eaters that that they be they became demonized and and that led to this so huge irrational fear that never existed and still to this day is for yeah, i mean this, this film still keeps people thinking uh you know great white sharks are evil uh all kinds of sharks are evil i don't want to be in the water you know and What's fascinating to me is as as I've grown older and watched more and more nature documentaries and more and more things like Planet Earth and such of you know that nature and read about sharks is that for the most part they're really just territorial. Yeah, they are protective of you know their areas, I guess. And, and um, but they by scent. They really just stick to what they normally eat. You know, fish. Uh, maybe seals, stuff like that. But it's not that it's never been that they're going out of their way purposely to try to eat or bite humans. Yeah. It's that as we have become more comfortable with going out into the water, whether to be for fun or to explore for science, things happen, uh, you know, and, uh, and this has also led to, you know, this film was inspiration then for well, one, we got some, couple sequels of not great quality no yeah you know there's been plenty of shark movies since and now of course with cgi we have a lot more films with more of a cgi shark which means it's easier to animate what it would look like to have a fluid real life moving shark of course we've had a shark week on discovery channel for many years now well and that was all started because of this irrational fear that there was this mass exodus then of humans uh, fishermen going and pursuing sharks just for sport and you know many sharks almost became uh, nearly extinct and because of that shark week which is not that old uh, it's been what last what maybe 20 years probably yeah something yeah. like that yeah and because of shark week they, they realized that you know we are killing off these animals irrationally and it led scientists to to really research and study them and, and try to preserve them and then it it gave a whole other um idea of you know what uh, sharks um were about there was more to them than what they were um, yeah they need to be protected they need to be yeah. you know of course taken seriously i mean these are you know they're just another creature of the deep and they can be very beautiful and they can be very uh, inspiring but they also can be very dangerous so I also like, though, in this film, you know, as we talked about earlier, this idea that you don't see the monster a lot. It was also something that led to inspire other films, such as, uh, you know, a few years later, we had Alien. Yes. And that was a film that, you know, is a sci-fi monster movie where, again, you don't really see the creature for most of the film, and it adds to the level of danger. Uh, Probably one of the most recent examples of this that, I actually was in favor of a lot of people were mad about, but when we had the Godzilla reboot, the one with Brian Cranston, the first film, yeah, Godzilla's only in the movie for maybe like 12 minutes. Like he's, he's not in the movie a lot. And a lot of people looked at that and were not happy because he's the title character. We want to see, you know, these big creatures fight. And I thought that it, it kind of had a jaws feeling to it because they only gave you little teases here and there. And it made you really yeah. think it, your imagination took over more than what you're actually seeing. And, and Jaws did that very well. I mean, one of the most haunting, one of the most scary moments for me is 
there's a scene where the um the guy is on the little paddle boat and Brody's son and his like friends are on their like little boat and they're in the little like pond area. Yeah. And we start seeing that the shark is coming toward this guy and he's like, Hey guys, you doing okay over there? You know, know. <laughs> clueless. Uh, I felt so bad dialogue. for him. I don't know why. <laughs> and then at one part, so the shark knocks the boat, the guy falls into the water and he's like, guys, you okay. And we just see a sideways angle as this mouth comes toward him. And then in very like, this is probably the unrealistic part of the movie that, that happens yeah. a couple of times is we get kind of like this, like blood, like volcano lava like explosion thing happening. Um, but just seeing that mouth, it's like slightly under the water. It's not crystal clear. Yeah. And then it, and then it just disappears. I mean, and even though, I mean, gosh, the, the opening scene of this film really paints a picture because we don't see it at all. No, and, and it's such this, a you know, it's such a violent death of this girl that in the very beginning, like still watching it to this day, it just and it was so accurate to what sharks do and with mm-hmm. their prey, and it was just like um, <laughs> the 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 stuff that Spielberg went into into in the opening scene alone, <laughs> and just we've been talking about it. it's it's funny to watch the behind the scenes stuff. Oh um, yes, on, uh, with Richard, Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus. He 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 tells a story about how. When recording that scene, you know, when you're out in the water and you're doing, you know, the sound's not going to be exactly how you want it. So often they will do, uh, as we talked about with our friend Justin a few weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they have to record things after the fact. And they're recording these kind of screams, you know, of, of Chrissy screaming because the shark is trying to pull her underwater. And Dreyfus says that uh, Spielberg was pouring water down her gullet to kind of make yeah. it sound like she was drowning while screaming. Uh-huh. And then he goes, which of course today is known as waterboarding. So Spielberg is actually is guilty of war crime. <laughs> then he starts to laugh and just like kind of humor. <clears throat> but um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny that we've had comedic takes on shark films. We've had goofy sharks. We've had, uh, you know, even the Jaws sequels. Yeah. We, we know that Jaws blew up in the end of this film jaws is dead this this creature is not coming back and yet yeah. somehow we keep getting these like spawns of like it's like as if jaws had like a whole family kids who, who wants <laughs> to like like it was the mafia of the sea yeah know? like uh <laughs> you know it, it, it just the the quality keeps going downhill because although yes this movie is about a shark and about hunting a shark it's about the people that are hunting the shark and their yes. story. And the sequels were trying to tell more stories based on the shark and it's, it didn't work as well. And, yeah. And uh, it was hard to kind of recapture the magic and the, and the mystery and the suspense. Cause we already know what the shark looks like. You can't, you know, spend 75% of the movie, not showing the shark. Yeah. Um, we, we, but, we've seen the shark now. We know what it looks like, but this movie was a big kind of new, you know, oh, okay. We can do movies about sharks and yes. You know, this movie's 45 years old now. In the last 45 years, there's been quite a lot of shark films that have been made. Mm-hmm. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some of our favorite shark films after this message. It's not safe to go back in the water without your Jaws movie box collection. This three-disc DVD collection from Universal Pictures includes all 12 hit films. Relive the terror of the great white shark through Jaws. 
Jaws 2, Jaws 3D, Jaws 4, The Revenge, Jaws 5, Rebel Without a Jaws, Jaws 6, The In-Jaws, Jaws 7, The Shark Knight, Jaws 8, Jurassic Shark, Jaws 9, Sharks and Recreation, Jaws 10, Noah's Shark, Jaws 11, The Jaws of Life, and finally Jaws 12, The Santa Jaws. Pick up your box collection today, and remember, you're gonna need a bigger DVD player. And we're back. So we said earlier before the break, there's been a lot of movies that have involved sharks since Jaws came out. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to talk about some of our favorites. So what's uh, off the hand? Is there, is there a, uh, I mean, Jaws will always take King. I yeah, think Jaws is the King shark sure. film. Mm-hmm. But uh, what other shark films have you enjoyed in, in the past 45 years? Well, um, I honestly, so I will include Jaws 2. The only reason I did like Jaws 2, just because we brought, you know, Brody was back for that one. Um, uh, uh, Roy Scheider was back. So I was excited about that. Although, you know, do, they were doing something a little different, but I think if Spielberg came back, it would have been better. But I still... You know what, you know what, you know what always creeped me out about that movie? Yeah. I, it scares me to water ski now because of yeah. that movie. Yeah. Because I always think that somebody... Oh, that, oh yeah. And, that, mm-hmm. and we talked about earlier, rational fear. I've, I've gone to Lake Havasu many times in my life. Me and my family go all the time. Mm-hmm. There are no sharks in Lake Havasu. But still, it's yet, back here. I always, I always think like, I'm in the water for a long time waiting for this boat to go. Great White's going to come in, you know, that irrational fear. <laughs> um, but I really like that one. And then going like, so Jaws was my first foray into shark movies. And then what I liked, um, I guess it could have been the Jaws of our, our generation. Um, I liked the movie Deep Blue Sea. Deep Blue Sea is an interesting film. It's very absurd. It's, it's absurd. absurd. It's an absurd premise. But this you is where know, we get, you know yeah. that going in. Oh yes, <laughs> these these scientists basically the, the quick premise. If you haven't seen it, it was back in early two thousands. Um, these scientists are trying to cure Alzheimer's, and they're using mako sharks uh, and experimenting on them uh, to do this. And then their experiments, uh, they make the shark smarter. So, of course, you know when deadly you're, smart. Yeah. So then they're like. But it's great. It's it's almost like a parody of Jaws because they take out all these sharks, but all the sharks die similar to the way the other sharks, you know, died in the in the in the Jaws films. Um, but it's so crazy. You got what a cast in that movie. But it's just like it's completely crazy. Like just, I'll say, uh, yeah, it, it's a it's a it's a hilarious kind of uh, you know sci-fi shark film. Yeah. Um, one I actually really enjoyed that came out a few years ago, starring Blake Lively, was a movie called The Shallows, where she's, I think it's down in like Mexico. Yeah. And um, she goes out, you know, surfing, and then one bad wave kind of knocks her off to these kind of shallow rocks. And then there is a shark that is trying to hunt her down. And she's, and she's, and she's like yeah. stuck. So she's like, how do I get back to land? And, you know, CGI nowadays, if, you, if you're going to pay to have really good CGI and make it look as real as possible, it does help a little bit because, yeah, Jaws, even though a lot of it still looks pretty good, you know, 45 years later, there's some things about that puppet that do look a little dated, some of the skin, and you can tell that the, it's not 100% authentic to what a shark would look like, which is yeah. why 
there's a few small clips in the movie of an actual shark that was in the course as long as they wanted so they make the, the they would edit it a certain way but yeah it's a pretty cool movie i mean it's it again it's a very simple premise but um i think like Leo did a good job in that film um uh one it's very creepy to me because again this irrational fear mm-hmm. of the ocean fear of what if you got stuck in the middle of the ocean? Yeah. There's a series of films called Open Water. Open Water and Open Water 2. Yes. I think there's only two. There might be more. And that's, it's a couple that goes out on like a snorkeling boat with a bunch of people. They have like an hour to snorkel. For some reason, when this boat is ready to leave, they miscount heads and they take off without this couple. So the boat's gone. So the couple rises and realizes that they're stuck in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. Just the two of them and of course you know who comes calling after you know certain hours sharks and it's very realistic very uh psychological very creepy yeah and it was crazy because it's based off a true story um um Mm -hmm. the whole whole situation like the i mean obviously they're they're kind of acting what happened because this couple disappears but they've like found the camera that they you know they kind of assume what could happen but it was that that also the scary thing not even just being the fear of sharks but it it's that open water like you're out there and you're alone like that desert island kind of feel like you know i'm and you know you've got the elements you've got i mean yeah even if even if you took away sharks yes or any kind of predator that might come try to eat you Mm -hmm. just the idea to be in the middle of the ocean the amount of energy it would take you to try to maybe swim to something that would be somewhat land yeah. you probably won't make it you will literally get you'll you'll you know and you've got the and, sun you've got no water no food yeah it's uh it's just you know that's it just creeps me out but you know that we've had these kind of darker tales and then we've had a new wave of the kind of uh, bc list movie <laughs> sharknado films oh, these yeah. ridiculous concept of a tornado of sharks coming to your town <laughs> yes um uh, you want to talk about but, bad CGI? Yeah, <laughs> I've never seen any of those films. Neither have I. Heard, but I've just, heard they're a hoot. Yeah, um, and of course now they have you know Sharknado versus uh, the octopus. Yeah, or the Kraken. The Kraken. Um, but we also we've also had you know sharks in animated films. I mean, we had uh, you know Finding Nemo. Mm-hmm. I think Shark was Tale. a fun way to kind of you know tell like okay. Sharks trying to be friendly. I yeah, thought that was a trying funny premise. Trying to be premise. vegetarian sharks. Trying to be vegetarian. <laughs> like, what a funny premise, you know, because yeah. obviously sharks are very much carnivores. Yeah, we had Shark Tale. Which uh, um, the, the sharks are like um, the, the top predators. So they were like, the, they were the mafia of the sea. You know, they're kind of running things. Um, and, you know, that was, you know, more comedic. And you've got the, those take. And then talking about going even more absurd in most recent days was, of course, uh, Jason Statham's movie, The Meg. The Meg, which I I still have not seen. You haven't? Okay. I have never I never saw it. I, I saw was it. I was really wanting to, and then it's never worked out for me. Yeah. Um but that of course is uh as if a megalodon somehow survived to this day and age and Jason Statham has to fight. Of course, you look at Jaws. I think they say what, like like a 30 foot yeah, 25. great white. Yeah, 25. Something like that. Yeah. Well, Megalodon would be like a dinosaur version of a great white shark where it's just yeah. four times bigger, you know, huge. And somehow he has to <laughs> fight off this thing. And uh, I, yeah, I, I never saw the film, but it just goes to show that 
Hollywood and people are still interested by this creature. They're You're still interested to see complete fascination. stories about yeah. sharks, whether it be uh, from a horror suspense standpoint, yeah. a fun childlike standpoint, or out into the bizarre weird <laughs> Sharknado. You know, um, Sharknado land, the Meg, uh, even Deep Blue Sea, you know, to an extent. And, you know, I think the other recent films, we have these 47 meters down films, which I have not seen, but just that premise alone, to me, I believe you would probably, from the pressure, you would, <laughs> you probably wouldn't last. So the yeah. idea that you could be stuck in a cage 47 meters down just with snorkeling gear, I, I, you know, but again, it's this premise of what if you were, you know, they have that great scene in Jaws where mm. uh, Hooper goes down to the cage yeah. and he's got the, he's got his little spear, which has the, the poison in it to try to kill this thing. And then in true Hooper fashion, he yeah. drops it. He drops like He drops the ball literally so many times. He drops the ball too many times. But, you know, the, the shark comes and attacks the cage and it totally destroys the cage and doesn't do its job. But in 47 meters down, they have this idea that they're in a cage and then the cage breaks from its wire and falls down to the ground. Yeah. And now how do they escape this thing? And there's sharks everywhere. And, you know, again, these fear things, you know, these, these moments where you're like, God, I, I hope I would never be in a situation like that. Yeah. It's a bit of the claustrophobia because even though if you're like in open water uh, times, you, um, you have nothing to protect you. And um, you know, it's just the, you know, something could come up right behind you and, and it's just, it's the man or the human versus nature and that age old thing that, you know, we just don't know what's out there. And it's just so incredible, the fascination that we humans will continue to have. I mean, 45 years later since Jaws, I mean, today, uh, this year actually marks the anniversary, as you mentioned, it was 45 years that we are still continuing to just, you know, our eyes are glued to the screens, whether it's Shark Week or Sharknado Week or whatever, that we just want to, we just, so to speak, eat this stuff up. We just, we want to oh, just. Oh, I mean, I wanted to briefly mention, because, I mean, who has never thought of this and thought it'd be so cool? I did love an Aquaman when all those, like, soldiers were riding sharks into battle. I was yeah. like, you know what? If I don't need to fight off a shark, if I could ride a shark and that's my, like, that's my steed, yeah. that would be pretty cool. Exactly. Like that was a that was a pretty cool. So, um, but yeah, I totally agree. There's something. They're they're a beautiful creature. They're mysterious. They're you know they're almost alien to us in a way. So uh, the fascination will continue to be there. But I think no matter what films come in the future mm -hmm. relate to sharks, uh, they'll always have Jaws to thank for to actually inspire this kind of new genre of monster movie of of sharks. Um, Absolutely, yeah. and I think uh, this will always stand the test of time. I think it's just a great film that always holds up, and you know, so thankful that not only for the shark genre but for the blockbuster. I mean, this thing really set up this idea of the summer blockbuster, and yeah. so many movies have come since from to, that. So think um, about a time in summers when those were the times that were not popular for movies because people were on vacation stuff; they weren't watching movies. And that this completely revolutionized, you know, we, how much we look forward to summers and their releases. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. And just continue to look forward to what they come up with next. But um, with that said, I just give you this. Farewell and adieu to you first Spanish ladies. Farewell and adieu you ladies of Spain. Thanks for listening to The Potential Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Potential Podcast, 
or on Twitter at The Potential Pod. Or you can email us. Send us your positive feedback and thoughts, suggestions, and more through our email, thepotentialpodcast at yahoo.com. I'm your host, Chris Dewar. And I'm your host, Taylor Sokol. Stay tuned for more episodes on pop culture, entertainment, and nerdum. And remember, know, know your, your potential. potential.